what's up everyone? Welcome to Legendary Tales. I am your host, Isadora Martin Dye, and hopefully you can hear Adam Bloor. Hi everybody, I'm back. Yay, and his sound sounds really Yay. funny. He is okay, so <laughs> let me give you a little catch-up. We know we have been a little bit remiss in our weekly updates. I think we managed to do 40 episodes in a row without taking a break, which is yes. pretty good. <laughs> but then Adam broke in a rather serious way. I can't. Okay, sorry. I can't actually hear you right now. Hold on. Let me turn my phone up. Okay. All right. So just start that again. I was saying you broke in a rather serious way. I broke in a rather serious way. You well, got I got the, the coronavirus. Yeah. I got the COVID and I went back to college. So. Oh, yeah. He broke in two different ways. Yeah. I uh, I got the COVID, which very luckily for for myself and my family didn't manifest in a really horrible way. It still left you uh, feeling a very, bit cruddy. Yeah, we were very tired. Um, we also got the, the telltale symptom of new loss of taste and smell. And yeah, we were just generally fatigued. Um, so that wasn't super great. <laughs> um, I would like to thank Ben on air for covering for me for one week. Um, yeah, I really, but we really planned, appreciate it. We did, we did do a really good job of planning out our episodes to get us through to when we thought you were getting back. Exactly. We, we like, yeah, like you said, we kind of crushed it for, for a few days um, with like six pre-recorded episodes. Mm -hmm. And then with the COVID and United Airlines canceled my original flight back. And then obviously I couldn't come back any earlier because I'm still testing positive. Um, yeah, so it's been a weird couple of weeks. Yeah, I'm um, really to sorry. Yeah, I know. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, very, very sorry. I oh. sort of forgot how to do this podcast. I know, it's kind of weird. Uh, there's a couple of things which I don't know that Adam knows. One of our amazing fans got engaged this weekend. I found out on via Instagram. Nice. That's that awesome. Was Congratulations. What? So congratulations to them. Yep, and a gorgeous photo of her uh, with her other half down on one knee. Uh, so that's very exciting. And we got some really cool fan art, but you haven't seen that yet. So I have we not seen the fan art, no, but you have told about me about it. it. What? You have told me about the fan art. I just haven't seen it yet. I know, but we will save talking about it properly until you get to see it. Cool. Um, and we'll talk about how awesome that is. But yes, congratulations yeah. to Casey Taylor because she um, is uh, making it official with what looks to be a lovely, lovely young man. Not that we have anything to say about it or any feelings on it, but you know, she's <laughs> awesome. So we're happy for we her. Approve. <laughs> we approve. We approve. Is this the same? Is this the same Casey who gave us a five star review on on it iTunes? It's the same Casey. Cool. That's awesome. I um, know. Did her. Did her fiance give us five stars though? Because that's really That's really all we care about. Um, no. No, I don't uh no, he has not person. given us a five star review, so I am afraid uh Casey's fiance, who I am not hundred percent sure of your name, but mm. it might be something like Jonah. Um give us those five star reviews and be as awesome as the woman you're about to marry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's great. Congratulations again. Um, cool. Well, that's uh, I, I feel I feel relatively caught up. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing else going on in life other than you not being here, and life is not the same without Adam on Longland's site. Oh. Yeah, uh, it's been a it has been a weird couple of weeks. 
But assuming he tests negative, the next episode you hear, he will be recording with us in person. In person, in the studio. In kind of, with a mask on, maybe. I don't know. Depends we'll on see. how brave we are. I mean, we can always, I'll just do it, I'll just shout through a window. Yeah, yeah, we'll put the microphone out the window and he can sit in what has not stopped raining for like a week. Ugh, gross. And you did get to miss the job of putting in the new sewage line. So all in all... Oh, dang it. All in all, you're doing quite well. But yes, he also went back to school. So our journalism, journalistic Adam, is actually officially going to finish his degree. Yeah. Yep. Um, I'm really excited about it. You feel real stupid too, though, right? What? Don't you feel really stupid because you realized you were just there? Yeah, I feel really, really stupid. Um, I was much closer in terms of credit hours than I thought, but hey, that's water under the bridge. Um, and that just means it's going to be an easier semester than I thought it was going to be. So Adam is Hopefully. officially a college student again. Yeah, mature college student. Uh, you don't have to say the words mature. Red solo cups, <laughs> frat parties, basement old, drinking. Old old man. Come on, there's got to be man. there's got to be some cute college co-ed out there who is desperately looking for a journalism major, calm podcast hosting, dog rescuing extraordinaire man. Living in England. I don't care where she lives. Hey, I, I I think uh no, me, me living. Oh in yeah, England, he's living in her. England. I don't care where you wonderful woman of the no. future of Adam's dreams <laughs> is living. England would be great. Just but show really up. wherever Just you are. Come through. What? Just come through. Yeah. <laughs> she just has to show up. I know. I know. And one of our fans is off the market, so there might be one left. <laughs> our two fans. All, one of them might be them. single. One of them's fans be single. <laughs> All right. So today we're doing motoring. Yes. Um, I think we sort of, I sort of lost the plot as I do. Um, okay. Also because we planned, we planned this episode out a few weeks ago, I think. And it was originally true crime. And like, yeah, I, by a I few weeks we, ago, of course, we mean like a month ago. Yeah, but like before I left. Yeah. Um, and I am technically doing a true crime, but there is some murder involved. So, I mean. I'm full of yeah. murdering, but you're up first. All right, great. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about the James Younger gang. Do you okay. know anything about the James Younger gang, Dora? No, I mentioned to Ben that I thought you that was what you were doing, and he said was one of them dating Calamity Jane, who is a topic that I do want to do at some point, but I don't think so. I think um, it's just the same era. Yes, I don't believe that she was involved in this particular gang. So, just the same era. Yes, I believe so. In the 1800s, the so like mm-hmm. mid to late 1800s, yeah. Um so for anyone who doesn't know, the James Younger Gang uh, was a gang that operated in from 1861 to 1888, and it was comprised of brothers Jesse and Frank James, as well as brothers Jim, John, Bob, and Cole Younger. So that's where you get the James Younger name. Okay. They, operate, they operated mostly in Missouri, and the way they sort of came about being a, a gang mm-hmm. was during the Civil War, they were Confederate bushwhackers. So in a lot of southern states where men who were conscripted into the Confederate Army or joined the Confederate Army mm-hmm. knew the areas really well. And so they would operate in these small sort of guerrilla groups. Okay. And the, these six men were Confederate soldiers, Confederate soldier bushwhackers. Yeah, um, okay. 
they operated heavily in rural areas with little to no government, um, and they were non-uniform, so there's this issue of, like, legality in terms of military combat. Um, okay, but, like, so the they were non-uniform, is, so kind of it was just, like, they were vigilantes almost? Yeah, kind of. Okay. Yeah, they were not, they, they were, like, heavy supporters of the Confederate Army, but due to, like, legality reasons, they weren't, they were never, like, recognized as Confederate soldiers by the Confederacy. Okay. Um, but it's, like, pretty, the consensus is generally that these were just, like, domestic terrorists, um, and we'll get into some of, like, the, the not great things that sort of happened. <laughs> Well, I mean, none of this is really great, but like the specifically like terroristy things that that happened okay. like during the Civil War. Um, like I said, they operated heavily in Missouri um, because it was a border state. It was hotly contested and populated largely by Union and Confederate sympathizers because it was right on the border of the Union and the Confederacy um, during the Civil War. I'm not Missouri sure I know where Missouri is. It's um, actually I don't know either. I think it's out near Kansas. Okay. Somewhere along the Mason-Dixon line, basically. Yeah. Okay, so it borders Illinois to the east, Kansas to the west, Iowa to the north, and Arkansas to the south. Okay. So it's, like, not quite the west. It's part of the Midwest, technically. But it was, like, just right on on the line of secession. Um, During the Civil War, Missouri hosted 1,200 unique skirmishes, and those numbers are only topped by Virginia and Tennessee. So Missouri is the the state with the third largest amount of battles during the Civil War. Oh, okay. Uh, Once the the Civil War ended... I don't know what the response to that is. Uh, That was my mother uh, to tell let me know that her dog was driving her insane, and could I please come rescue her? And I said, no, I'm on the phone with Adam. (laughs) I'm busy. I said no. Podcast. Play with record. your own damn dog. Yeah, deal with your own little weasel. I know, because somehow with you in the states and my mother a bit laid up, I am like dog whisperer extraordinaire and seem to have four dogs following Holy me everywhere. responsible for four dogs. Yeah, it's yeah. too many dogs. Four That's... dogs is too many dogs, people. I I feel like Cecilia should be fine just laying around in bed with Heather. You'd think. Anyway, well, where were you? For... So, right. So I'm just going to start from the post-Civil War. So the okay. Civil War ends in, 18, in 1865, uh-huh. and the United States is in this very tumultuous tumultuous uh, position, which hasn't really changed mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> in, you know, 160 years. Yeah, um, I know. How's it been this, home? We, Real fun? Uh, it's been okay. I mean, like, people are finally wearing masks in the Midwest now. Oh, okay, that's good. Um, but also, like, our infection numbers are doing, like, really weird things. Uh, it's just it's just been strange. All right. Uh, and obviously, uh, so the war ends, and we have this new Republican federal government. Republican, mm-hmm. yes. Those those two sort of, the names do, like, a paradigm shift at some point in the, yeah. in the future-ish. Um, and they were obviously not huge fans of these Confederate bushwhackers. Yeah. So they were sort of quote, unquote, forced to live outside of the law in order to support themselves because they were still, like, trying to fight the Civil War, even though it was over, uh-huh. um, in a state where they were where they were getting, like, some support, but not, like, a lot of support. And the federal government was, like, I think actively hunting some of these people down. Oh, okay. Um, I, do want to, I do want to say, though, I think sometimes the, the James Younger game has this, like, romantic 
sort of image because they're like people compare them to Robin Hood, but these are like not good guys, not only in terms of the fact that like robbing people isn't great, but they were pro Confederacy. Yeah. uh, And they were basically just like big crybabies refusing to accept the fact that their side had lost. And instead of like integrating and, you know, getting like real human jobs, they Mm -hmm. just sort of like shift their focus from killing union soldiers to robbing people like yeah. strictly for personal gain. Yeah. It had okay. almost nothing to do with like striking down what they thought was a tyrannical government, which like I had, I would have some respect for that because like, at least you have some conviction there. But if you're just robbing people for personal gain, like go away from me. Um, but anyway, You've heard that, so ladies. For... Not only do you have to be single and into a journalism major with a podcast, but if you could also be up for overthrowing a tyrannical government, he's all about it. Yes, yes, I'm all about it. Um, <laughs> I need a, I need a new revolutionary. Um, so for like three years, they sort of just bang around, like doing some light plundering, um, <laughs> sort of like small robberies, you know. The sort of things you see in westerns where they like ride into town on horses, like shooting their guns off. Yeah. Um, like Johnny Depp Pirates were... of the Caribbean versus like real pirates, like <laughs> I am the captain now. Yes. Pirates. Yes, exactly. Yes, exactly. Okay. Uh, much, much, much different. Um, so in 1868 is the first time that they're actually called the James Younger Gang in some in some article that was written about them. Mm-hmm. Um, And uh, yeah, they they went around plundering, doing some plundering stuff. Stuff. I'm going to talk a bit about some of their more famous exploits, yep. and then sort of how they managed to continue doing what they were doing without being caught, I guess. Um, okay. Or sort of like the people who helped build the like the Jesse James legacy, because obviously when you hear like James Younger, you think Jesse James. Um, he's like the poster boy for the Confederacy, even after the Confederacy didn't technically exist anymore. Um, and I'll go into that um, a little bit. But I honestly actually out, never, I always associated Jesse James with like Westerns, not the Confederacy. Right. Well, that's the thing is like, I think, um, you know, as time goes on, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'm sure I'm sure people recognize this as like generally not a good person, mm-hmm. but there is like a romantic notion about this, about Jesse James, like as a historical figure in some yeah. parts of the States, I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure some parts of the States, they don't even know who he is. Like they probably have seen that one Brad Pitt movie <laughs> with the one Affleck brother. That's really, really good. And that's what they know that's about Jesse James. Seen. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I think it's a great movie, but like, and that was my only um, sort of, yeah, the only information I had about Jesse James came from that movie. Uh, I knew a bit about the highway robbery stuff, but this, this like deep dive into what he was doing in the 1800s was very enlightening. Cool. So on February 12th, 1886, the James Younger Gang, gang James Younger Gang, yep. committed the first daylight peacetime bank robbery. So good for them, you know? Breaking uh, boundaries, the, shattering glass yeah, ceilings. Bro- broadening the horizons of bank robbery uh-huh. uh, at the Clay County Savings Association in Liberty, Missouri. So the sort of account from persons who were at the scene say that 12, 10 to 12 men roll, rode into town on their horses and they just sort of like milled around. Two people, 
two men into, entered the bank and they asked for $10 in change and then drew their guns and pointed it at the young man, William, who was standing behind the counter. And he was there working with his father. Okay. Um, William and his father, Greenup Bird, were held at gunpoint and then put into the vault um, while the robbers, like, robbed the bank. Um, <clears throat> they fled the bank with $60,000, which in 2019 money would have been somewhere like $1 million. And now um, in 2020 so money, it's dropped to like $26. Yeah, it's like it's like pennies. It's just, it's worth nothing. Because you have um, no As they were fleeing... As they were fleeing, shots were fired, um, and a 19-year-old student named George Wymore was killed. But it's sort of like unclear why the shots were fired because mm-hmm. they didn't shoot anything in the bank. They didn't shoot anyone in the bank. They didn't like fire their guns going into the bank or coming out of the bank. It just seems that like a bullet was fired somewhere. Oh, okay. So they flee Liberty and they're pursued by an armed mob, um, like people in the town, because this is 1886. So this is like eight years after they've been sort of gaining notoriety. So people like yeah. are sort of aware that armed gangs are roaming Missouri, robbing banks and it's the 1800s. So like guns are like more everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they're pursued by an armed mob, uh, but aided by snow and some, and some townsfolk who like know that they're still pro know that they're pro Confederacy. Mm-hmm. Like don't tell the police they escape. Um, un- unharmed, uncaptured, and none of the money was recovered. Okay. So they got away with it quite cleanly. They got away with it very cleanly. But this is like eight years into it, and they're sort of like professionals, unfortunately. Um, I do sort of bounce around a little bit in terms of timeline. I'm going to try to be as clear as possible, but if Uh, you're confused at all, if at any point it becomes confusing, just let me know. No, I had a Um, similar problem. With my one, and then oh. I found that I'll talk about it, but I found this amazing person who put together like an actual timeline. Oh, great. Um, which was genius move and made my much clearer. So I totally understand what you're saying. That is very helpful. Um, one thing that I found that was interesting, and it's not something that like I consider, but it was just a point that I kind of liked that I found a, an article on history.net. It was written by a man named William Preston Magnum III. Uh, Great who name. basically wrote an entire wrote an entire article about their horses. Okay, I like um, him because yeah. So the the James Junker gang would have been expert horsemen because they grew up in a place where horses were very and in a time period when horses were like the way you got around. Yeah, um, and with their experience bushwhacking in the Missouri woods, they got very acclimated to like constantly being on their horses and they were sort of seen as like the most important tool for bank robbers. Okay. Um, and w- William Preston says that they dealt in fine blooded stock, raced thoroughbreds and rode beautiful American saddlebreds. Mm. Um, Jesse James did own like half owned a very expensive race horse in Missouri and it like won him a lot of money. Cool. Um, and this is sort of where we get into people who helped the James gang in like in, in in a few ways. So specifically, there's this family in Missouri called the Hudspeths. They're a family okay. of Missouri horse breeders, and they were in Frank James's like close circle of friends, and they would supply horses to them. Mm-hmm. I found an interview from one of the gang members named Dick Little, which is hilarious. Um, <laughs> and at the trial of Frank James, he said, 
that he knew Frank and Jesse James, that he first got acquainted with them in, 19, in 1870 at Robert Headspeth's. I was working for them. There was a gang known as the James Boys. I belonged to it at one time. I joined four years ago last fall. My horse I bought of Hudspeth, he was a chestnut bay with several distinguishing marks. And like the, when you go, when you read all of these accounts, they don't do any of these, none of these robberies or, or heights are done on foot. They're all done with their horses. And these horses were very, very important. Yeah. Them. And this family specifically was constantly supplying horses to their gang. And if you look them up now, I'm not sure if it's the same family, but there are still Hudspeths in Missouri, like breeding horses. That's pretty cool. I mean, if you're good at it. Yeah. So they're just like, it's just an old, old family name. Um, one of the members, this is sort of like another tie-in. Um, William, his name was William and his name was Babe. Uh, yeah. was fighting the Civil War on the western border of Missouri. Um, he was not a good guy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I like the way you this, kind of said that, just like, you know, to prove I, that I just because like they I have need, a romantic like, image does not make them good people. Right, exactly. I, 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 I might say it a few more times as well. I don't mean to repeat myself, but, it, like... Do I, not like, romanticize these people. This, this all sounds very adventurous, and I'm trying my best not to, but yeah. it's difficult when you talk about people riding around on horses. Particularly in my brain, because I uh, do have a thing for boys that ride around on horses. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so I found like a um, sort of like a small bibliography about a, a, a person named William Hudspeth. And again, I'm not sure if this is a common name in Missouri, mm -hmm. but he was a part of a raid in Lawrence, Kansas, um, and the Centralia, Missouri Massacre. Uh, and post-Civil War, he, he left the Confederate Army and was raising and breeding horses. So I think he might have been a part of the same family that was giving okay. horses to the James gang. Um, all right. And I'm going to jump back a few years from okay. the initial bank robbery that I talked about uh, in 1881. So this was five years before the bank robbery. Um, yeah. But, but a few – sorry. but three years after they were sort of known as the James gang or, or even longer than that. Three years. No, three years. Okay. And I got this information from uh, Davies County historical society.com. And this is the train robbery at Winston, Missouri. Okay. Um, the train left Gallatin North. Oh, sorry. This is from an article in the Gallatin North Missouri. And it was published on July 21st, 1881. And the, Headline read, Conductor Westfall and Frank McMillan killed and express car robbed. Uh, the Kansas City and Chicago passenger train left Wilton, Missouri at 930 in the morning and stopped on Island Rock, Rock Island Road. Um, three men entered the smoking car. Uh, the quote in the account here says that they were disguised by their dark, bushy beards, like dark I, I just, like it was a very specific like they weren't wearing bandanas they just had big beards um and they fired their guns through the window of the smoking car shooting the conductor in the back oh you and ben could join the gang <laughs> yes 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 yeah, that's, that's why we were growing our beards out so we can rob trains yeah but they've already been uh, there and done it. it they did it first you need to find something to be first at adam it's kind of lame yeah you're right we'll just be like the covid mask bandits Oh, that's true. That's You've now got an excuse we'll to wear a mask into a bank. Exactly. Exactly. So I think that we can really work this to our advantage. Okay. Um, a passenger named Frank McMillan was also shot. Yeah. Uh, and $4,000 was stolen from a safe. 
Cool. They kept the train going until it got to another bridge where they forced it to stop where they had their horses uh, waiting for them. Uh, and someone said that there's no like actual proof that this was the James gang. That a lot of like the crimes that started happening in that area around that time just sort of started getting associated to the James Younger gang. Like, and a lot of them were, um, as like would come out in in the trials of some of the gang members afterward. Okay. But um, but they also became a capsule like, for it, everything they were, that they, happened in the area. Yes, they were just like the scapegoat, okay. which I guess like fair enough. Um, so yeah, so the sort of investigator said that this must have been the James gang. Um, because so here's a little backstory. So Westfall, the conductor who was shot, yeah, um, was conducting the train of the Pinkerton. So there's this. Oh, I know the Pinkerton agency. The- I know right, so the, the Pinkerton, Pinkerton Detective Agency yeah. was the agency that was assigned to catching the James gang. Yeah, I know. I've right? and so they, seen stuff about the Pinkertons. Okay, great. So they were on a train conducted by Westfall, and they ended up at the home of Mrs. Samuels. Mm-hmm. Mrs. Samuels is the mother of Frank and Jesse James and, like, several of their half-brothers. Okay. Uh, and the Pinkertons, another reason I think that there's a bit of this romantic imagery is because, like, detectives like in this era were particularly brutal with how they dealt with criminals. Um, and they, they just assumed that Frank and Jesse James were in the house and like blew it up. Okay. And it was like their mom and their half brothers. Yeah. And she ended up losing her arm and two of their half brothers were killed oh, okay. in the explosion. And they were like young, they were like kids. They yeah. weren't, you know, well, that's so they definitely were not romantic. No, and so that's like where the assumption is that the James Gang must have been there exacting revenge on this conductor. Mm-hmm. Um, just interesting. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's, so after I know, read that, it's not, not it's, good it's guys. Hor- it was a horrible thing to read because, like, you know, I mean, like they were just like young kids with their mom, and you know, some like hair trigger detective decided that. <laughs> the best way to sort of handle the situation was to blow the house up. So after I read that computer article, yeah. or that that transcribed article, I sort of fell down a rabbit hole. Uh, the rabbit hole of a pro-Confederacy journalist named John Newman Edwards. And I found this paper written by a, a young woman named Emily Kogliski. Okay. I believe it's how you, you, pronounce, you pronounce her last name, possibly. Uh, and the title of her paper was The Obituary of a Folklore, The Relation of John Newman Edwards and Jesse James. Okay. Um, John Newman Edwards was a Virginia-born pro-Confederacy journalist. Uh, he helped provide alibis for the James gang. And all of this was because he wanted the Confederacy to, again, rise to power. And he felt that James was a, an appropriate vehicle for that. That if, we, if, if he could create a sort of... Take ahead? Um pitiable character oh okay um like you know like like a robin hood character that the confederacy could sort of rally around carry. um that they would be able to to yeah. reinstate power to the confederacy <clears throat> and so emily writes based on the history of jesse james he was not a significant man what made him significant were the fantastical articles written about him the figure of jesse james represented 
fighting against the state for tight implications of law and ethics. So, I mean, like a lot of things. Yeah. They sort of, you gain folklore status because of what people think about you, not necessarily because of the truth of what happened. Because we, we, you know, a lot of, in a lot of our research, I think, have discovered that the things that folklore is based on is not really as exciting as the actual, the folklore that exists because of it. Yeah, absolutely. And this is, uh, again, like I mentioned earlier, between 18, sort of like 66 and 1870, uh, even like even going later than that, ro- all robberies, acts of political and acts of political violence were associated to the James gang. Yeah. Um, and in Independence, Missouri, two members of the Quantrill's Raiders were freed from prison um, and became members of the James gang. Uh, the Quantrill Raiders were responsible for the Lawrence, Kansas massacre, which I'm not sure if you remember, I mentioned one of those, uh, the Hudspeth, uh, was involved in this raid as well. So what happened here was Union soldiers were imprison- imprisoning the wives of guerrilla fighters. They, they had figured out who these bushwhackers were okay. and were rounding all of their like wives and daughters up. Lovely. And they were putting them in like a makeshift jail. Where I'm sure they treated uh, them to, fairly. Well, no, it gets really bad. In order to get them all to fit, they were like removing support struts from the building. Oh. And the the jail collapsed and killed everyone inside. It was um, so packed that they couldn't even have a support struts. I do, yeah, that's that's what it re- like. The building was apparently very small already, and so when they started removing like the frame, the building obviously collapsed and killed like either all of these women or most of these women. Oh God! Um, and so Quantrill and his men rode into Lawrence, Kansas, and killed um, 150 boys and men, just like not associated with the Union. They were just people living in Lawrence, and so this is where. I don't know if you've ever heard the term bleeding Kansas, but this yeah. is where that term comes from, uh, from this raid. And the Confederates at the time, because this is before the war ended, were not super happy about this because it was like an unsolicited raid on innocent people. Like, right. The idea being that we understand that you're angry. Yeah. Um, but so like the Confederates at this time sort of were like, no, we do not. Uh, support the action of these the actions of these bush bushwhackers and sort of distance themselves yeah from the as happens by the way when you incite violence and then you find the people you've incited violence towards do it yes exactly um it's an interesting sort of like look into what was happening during the civil war because it was just like a brutal like no holds barred battle for like control of the for control of america essentially yeah um and like obviously super glad the union side won but they were doing some pretty like not great things like involving innocents in putting them putting their lives in danger for history is written by the winners yeah it's it's absolutely true um and that was just like a devastating thing to read so like i so what you see here as well, which is interesting, is the Bushwhackers, like, obviously enemies of the Union. Um, and even though not technically working for the Confederacy, the Confederacy is probably happy to have them 
doing what they're doing because it sort of just disrupts what the Union soldiers can do if they're like fighting a battle on two fronts. Yeah. But then at this point, the, the Confederacy is even like, we don't want to be associated with you. So now they're just like criminals on both sides. Yeah. Like to both sides. Um, on election day in Lexington, Missouri, a group of raiders rode out to the Republican polls. Again, Republicans in the 1860s are what now we would assume what we would call Democrats. There is a paradigm shift. Yeah. Um, and they scare people away from voting, voting, uh, okay. which resulted in a Republican loss. Um, but one of their, one of the Raiders was shot because again, like <laughs> armed people. In I think Missouri you're drawing far issues. too many parallels between what you're telling me and what's happening today. No, I, I did the same thing. I, I felt the same way reading it. I was like, oh, wow, history does repeat itself. Yeah, it does. Um, in, this is sort of just like a shotgun bullet point, like sort of like year by year, yeah. small things that were going on and things that were associated with the James gang that may or may not have had anything to do with the James gang. Mm-hmm. So like Archie Clement was at the election day poll blocking and he was killed by a townsperson and he didn't have anything to do with the James gang. I'm fairly certain, but the papers afterward were like, James Younger, James Younger, they were the ones doing it. Okay. Um, In 1871, uh, a gang robbed a bank in Iowa, and this is when the Pinkerton National Detective Agency was was hired. And this would lead to the murder of Jesse and Frank James's younger brothers. Okay. What What I thought was interesting about Pinkerton was their slogan, We Never Sleep, and also that they were sort of famous for their failed protection of Lincoln. Like they, they stopped a few assassination attempts against Abraham Lincoln, but then he was killed anyway. And yeah. that's sort of why they're famous. Um, um, they I, also, I'm trying to think why I know of them, but I'm pretty sure it's because they're on some form of TV show that I watch. I think that they're, they're they're portrayed in some form of media, but because I also remember that name, and I don't think that they're mentioned in the assassination of Jesse James, but they must be in something. I don't know if they're in like Supernatural or something weird, but like that's where my brain immediately goes whenever I think of it. Um, yeah. But uh, the thing with the Pinkerton National Detective Agency is like because they were a private, like force they're not beholden to like any god they weren't like beholden to any government like sanctions and so they would just get into open gunfights with gangs like in the middle of town surrounded by innocent people mm-hmm. um so there was a gunfight in civil bend missouri uh where like several innocent people were killed and the james younger gang was blamed for the gunfight but jesse James actually wrote a letter to the editorial section of the Kansas City Times on June 24th and said, I don't care what the degrade, I don't care what the degraded radical party thinks of me. I would just as soon they would think I was a robber as not. Um, and this is sort of where you get the clash of Confederate support versus Republican sentiment. Um, he was. Okay. Hey there. I want you to think well of. I would been. Um, what's happening here? I don't know, but I lost you for a minute. Sorry, I weird notification. And it made a lot of. It made some noise. Um, on September twenty third, eighteen seventy two, at the second annual Kansas City Industrial Exposition, uh, nine hundred dollars was stolen, and a a little girl was shot during the in, the in, ensuing struggle. 
Uh, and after this event, John Newman Edwards, the journalist I mentioned earlier, yeah. wrote an article called The Chivalry of Crime, which I'm going to quote because it's very interesting how he tries to paint this picture. Okay. There are things done for money and for revenge of which the daring of the act is the picture and the crime is the frame it may be set in. A feat of stupendous nerve and fearlessness that makes one hair rise to think of it. With it, with a condiment of crime to season it, becomes chivalric, poetic, superb. There are men who have carried their lives in their hands so long that they do not know how to commit them over into the keepings of laws and regulations that exist now. And these men sometimes rob, but it is always in the glare of day and in the teeth of the multitude. The 19th century, with its Siberic civilization, is not the social soil for men who have set with Arthur, who may have set with Arthur at the round table, oh. ridden at tourney with Sir Lancelot, or worn the colors of Guinevere. Um, wow. This is a very obviously propaganda. It's very well written propaganda. It's beautifully um, written, like condiment of crime, and there's some beautiful yeah, phrasing a, in there. It's gorgeous. There's really flowery imagery, and to compare them to the Knights of the Round Table. Um, it's, it's beautiful, it. <laughs> but it is, but it is propaganda. Um, so that was written after the James gang sh- like accidentally shot a nine year old. And you have this journalist come in who's like, these men have to rob because the government is no good. And don't um, worry, they do it in daylight. So it's fine. Exactly. Yeah. They, they do it in daylight and, and around a bunch of people, which makes it superb and chivalric and poetic. Yeah, it's okay. interesting. I but but like I was reading that and I was like, man, I really want to hate this, but it's so well written. It is well like written. I can't. Yeah, yeah. It's what the power of words can do. It's amazing. Um, and I'm going to read a little bit more by him because he actually wrote Jesse James's obituary. Oh um, wow! So I'm going to read that. Total uh, fanboy. Soon, actually, because we're getting to the end of the James Younger Gang. Oh, okay. And this is the Northfield, Minnesota raid, and Minnesota like as a state and I think the city of Northfield specifically like celebrate this day because this is the day that like the James Younger gang was trounced by like some locals in Minnesota. Okay. So at the first national bank of Northfield, Minnesota on the September 7th, 1876, uh, the whole gang, um, they train, they buy horses, they come into town. Um, they're sort of scouting around yeah. Northfield. According to the article, they have some eggs. Because some people saw them at a diner eating breakfast. Um, they were spotted <laughs> well, at least we know what they have for and, breakfast. <laughs> they were spotted leaving a restaurant, and one of the, the locals said that they all like reeked of alcohol, which I guess would make sense. Uh, yeah. I mean, so they, they you attempt, know what? Why they, not? They attempt, I mean, yeah. I mean, like, if you're going to rob a bank, you might as well do it drunk. Like, yeah. a, a horse can drive itself better than a car can. So I guess, like, dr- like riding a horse drunk is probably not as bad as driving a car drunk. As long as you so, can like, stay on top of the least. horse, it will generally keep itself safe, which means you're generally safe. Exactly. Exactly. These men were geniuses. Because <laughs> they were eight banks men drunk. On, drunk on horses. So they, uh, eight men attempt to rob the bank, three enter, and five stand guard. Um, but as the five men go to like group up outside one mm-hmm. of the locals shouts get your guns boys they're robbing the bank and this just results in again open gunfire and what i'm assuming is basically just like the town square like the center of town because where the bank is yeah six members manage to escape on their horses uh but they don't get away with very much okay. um 
and not a single person escaped without being shot. So like not a single two members person died. escaped without being shot. No, two members died at the scene, okay. and the six that the six that managed to escape with what little money they had were afflicted in some way by gunshot wounds. Wow. Um, and this is like the final few of the James Younger gang. Uh, yeah. The and Youngers Jesse are James eventually still arrested. part of the gang at this point. Yes. Yeah. 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 They're sort of operating in different parts of like the Midwest. Okay. But they are still technically like part of the gang. But like okay. the Youngers would go off and do stuff, and the Jameses would go off and do stuff. Okay. And there were like there were like several other members, like lesser members, who would sort of like move around and do stuff as things. Like there's a whole episode of a podcast about like a deep deep dive into this gang and it's it's like actions and movements during the civil war um but the youngers are eventually arrested and sentenced to life and frank and jesse james in like an effort to sort of like straighten themselves out basically to to like go on the lam because they're wanted men relocate to nashville um but in 1880 jesse hears the siren song of crime uh and he returns to a stagecoach robbery with a new gang at Mammoth Cave, Kentucky. Um, and this is sort of where the plot of the movie, The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford comes yeah. from. This is like the end of his life. And he's sort of, he's living by, he's living with his family in St. Joseph, Missouri. And he's sort of an older man. Like he's a bit tired. He's like battle weary. And, but at this, but like young men have been growing up in the, in the, you know, the post-Confederacy part of the country, and they sort of idealize, they idolize him. That's who Robert Ford was. He was like a he was a Jesse James fanboy. He like he read all the dime store novels. Yeah, he read yeah, all yeah. of the articles. And um, yeah, but the Pinkerton <laughs> National Police Agency got a hold of Robert Ford, and Robert Ford uh, ended up shooting Jesse James in the back of the head, uh, killing him. Uh, and so that's sort of the end. That's oh. the end of Jesse James. Uh, well, I think the <laughs> film, sort of I have to say, the film told the end of Jesse James a little better than you just did. Yeah, well, I mean, like, he, he, has, this long, he has this long monologue where he, he talks about, like, his life. And, like, I, I, it's, it's very, I mean, like, yes, if you Watch want to movie. see, like, a, a, a well-shot uh, representation of of his death absolutely go watch that movie um i love it i haven't seen it in a few years but i i do remember enjoying it uh immensely and i didn't even spoil anything because the the event of the climax of the movie is in the title so like don't even worry about anything being spoiled for you yep no um, that's true there are no spoiler alerts and you get to see brad pitt and casey affleck i believe is the affleck that's in it uh no spoiler show um, well, um, yeah, except for mine. So John New- and John Newman Edwards writes, and I'm going to end with part of Jesse James's obituary yep. by his fanboy journalist. From his fanboy, very, very, very good writer journalist fanboy. Yes, and this is very well written as well. So, we called him outlaw and he was, but fate made him so. When the war came, he was just turned 15. The border was all aflame with steel and fire and ambuscade and slaughter. He flung himself into a band which had a black flag for a banner and devils for riders. Those who conspired to murder him have succeeded, but such a cry of horror and indignation at the infernal deed is even now thundering over the land. Others, again, among the murderers are sanctimonious devils who plead the honor of the state, the value of law and order, the splendid courage to shoot an unarmed man in the back of the head, 
and these will be stripped to their skin of all pretensions and made to shiver and freeze, freeze, splotched as they are and spotted and pre-balled with blood in the pitiless storm of public contempt and condemnation. God. So, I mean, like, people in the Confederacy were not happy that this had happened. Um, and the, and the use one word when you can use 30. I mean, honestly, like, this man, I don't know what level of education he had in terms of, like, actual journalizing, but he can turn a phrase. Um, yep. And honestly, I think may, may, may deserve his own episode at some point in the future if I ever want to come back to the Jesse James stuff again. I mean, because he seems like, like outside of being not a good guy, which I have said about 14 times in this episode, <laughs> um, pro-confederate Just in case anyone is aware, Adam does not support the terrorist actions of Jesse James and the Yeah, or the pro-confederacy musings of John yeah. Edwards Newman, but but like to be able to it is like, like you said, it's the power of words, the ability to turn a criminal into a romantic, idealized yeah. hero of 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 a of like a, of a betrayed nation. I think is like it's a it is a it is a talent to be able to do that. Absolutely, absolutely. No, it's really really interesting and a lot more detailed than what I learned from the movie. All right, well, I am kind of doing a similar era to you. Um, like okay. my story goes from like the mid 1800s through to the just before the turn of the century. Okay, cool, cool, cool. And I'm doing H.H. H. Holmes. Oh, yes. Um, which he is a, I think he's, I think he's a Longlands favorite. I mean, I do love me a bit of H.H. H. H. Holmes. In terms of like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he comes up in conversation quite a bit. Well, that's because he's super effing creepy. Because um, he's a super creepy weirdo. So I read, um, I read, I've read biographies. I've seen the film, what the White Castle, Devil in the White Castle, or whatever. Is that the one it's called? Oh, I didn't even realize there was a movie about him. Yeah, and a really good book with the same title. Um, okay. So. I it, it's weird to say I've been a fan of H. H. Holmes, but I've been a. <laughs> I've had knowledge of H.H. H. Holmes for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm actually kind of surprised by, in many ways, how little information I found. Okay. Um, a lot of it was very factual, but then I guess maybe I was trying to find, I feel like the emotional side of it, because I've read the books and the biographies and stuff, I kind of have an emotional grasp of who he was, but not like a factual grasp of who he was. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, like you were talking about Jesse James, we have this like romantic idea. Mm-hmm. Um so anyway, I got my uh, I got some of my stuff from mentalfloss.com. Um Wikipedia seemed to as always be a great resource and then the best resource was uh something called Herman Webster Mugget, Mugget, which is his real name. Um Oh. And it's uh I can only assume part of it's from the Department of Psychology at Radford in Virginia. Uh, yeah. and I can only assume it was part of a series that they did on serial killers. Um it it the information that I on him was researched and summarized by Rebecca Kern, Tiffany Lewis, and Caitlin McClure. Um <laughs> 
But what it looks like is they, for their thesis, I'm assuming maybe, or something, they put together Mm -hmm. timelines of these serial killers, but then also um, broke down the kind of typical serial killer stuff. Like, did they kill children? Uh, Did they kill animals when they were little? Like... Did they get dropped? On oh, their right, head? right, right. The sort of like the the sociopathic like tendency things that a lot of serial killers exhibit. Yeah, and then they broke down each one of his killings into like who it was, why, how. Um. So it was just this like amazing. Like I said, there's so much fact, like emotional stuff of how creepy he is, but mm-hmm. it was this really cool kind of actual breakdown factual of what happened in his life at various different ages. Um, so I thought I'm going to kind of go with that. I'm sorry. Did you, what? I'm sorry. Did, yeah. Yeah. That sounds great. But um, sorry. Uh, did you say that the timeline included other serial killers as well? So it was like a comparison of. No. So I, I people. think that they must have this on other serial killers. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. 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 So I think this was perhaps part of like a research um, thesis or something where they did it for various serial killers and would have checked them off against okay. each other. I just pulled his cool. his document down and it's 13 pages long. Yeah. So it is thorough. Bang. Yeah, it's super, super thorough. So um, let's start with kind of the early life because that is where it all begins. He was born, they reckon, in 1861. He's okay. one of four children. Um and there's quite a lot of reports that he was bullied and tortured by his schoolmates, um, including a dead body was thrown at him. Oh, my God. Um, it's so... Wait, how? <laughs> well, I don't know. There's, um, there's like, a lot... He, he made up... The thing... I guess the reason why I say, like, actually I'm surprised by how little information I've got on it, even though I'm staring at 20-something pages of information, is because he would just, he manipulated his story a lot. Um, And he confessed to stuff and then retracted those confessions and then admitted other stuff. And, you know, so it's really hard to kind of work out where his own built legend began and what really happened. Okay. Um, but apparently at one point they forced him to stand in front of a human skeleton and stare at it. Um, and you know, like he was, it seems like his childhood, but, and then some people have said that there was also like evidence of like all the typical serial killer things like, uh, torturing animals and stuff, but actually there's no firsthand evidence of any of that. And that may have just been fitted in to fit in with what he did later. Okay. Um, so he is living in New Hampshire most of his childhood. Um, it's 17 or 18. He got married to Clara Lovingering, Lovering, um, straight after he graduated high school, which he graduated at 16. He was obviously very intelligent. Uh, at 17, he completed one year at Darth- Dartmouth University, and then he transferred to the University of Vermont. Um, okay. When he's 18, they have their first kid. And um, at 21, he enrolls in the University of Vermont Medical School, uh, transferring to Michigan, where after he briefly got kicked out for stealing corpses, he was allowed back in and graduated as a doctor. Oh. 
um, where he began working as a pharmacist. So we've done a very quick first 23 years of Herman Webster Muggett's life. Yeah, that sounds really um, like condensed, yes. like a really condensed human life. Yes, I'm sure that there was love and laughter and tears in the middle, but there we go. <laughs> we don't know any of that, and that's not what we're concerned with. No, it's not. We're here to get on to the killing. Um, we're going to get to the gritty. Yeah, so it's about this time that one of his aliases, which is Harry Howard Holmes, starts to be used. Mm. Um, and it's also about this time that he moves to Chicago. Um, okay. Where he starts working. Does he for move drugs. with his family, or does he, or is it just him by himself? Oh, so no. By the end of his life, he's married to three different women. Okay, okay. And not like divorced them, just like. Oh, uh, so he like he left New Hampshire and left his like wife there. Yeah. And then moved to to Illinois and started another family there. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Okay. Um, he just like picked up and left whenever it was convenient, and when it wasn't convenient, he just killed them. Okay, cool. I mean, yeah, that's totally logical. Um, so he moves to Chicago as a single man, essentially. Um, he where he starts working as a pharmacist for Mrs. E. S. Holton. Um, he promises Mrs. Holton he will marry her. Uh, so she gives him the drugstore, and then unfortunately, Holton and her daughter quickly disappear. Um, so that's kill numbers one and two. Okay, so he kills the woman he he says he'll marry, and then he kills her daughter. Yeah. Okay. Um, cool. at the age of twenty. Not, not cool. I'm I'm following. Yeah. No. So here's the deal. I'm just going to give you a heads up. He admits to killing twenty seven people, so that's what I'm working okay. on. Although I think they've said that at least two or three of these people were found alive. So. Like afterward, or yes. or like. It, Okay. No, as in, like, he didn't kill them. They were alive. Oh, he just lied about killing them? Yes. <laughs> okay. But then some people reckon that he killed, like, hundreds of people. Yeah. And then, but he was only convicted of killing one. Okay. Criminal justice. You know. So it was at about this time that he buys or goes in towards renting the castle, which is the place that he's very famous for owning in Chicago. Um, mm -hmm. He kills a guy named Dr. Russell during an argument about rent for the castle and then sells his body for money. Um, then he kills some guy with an oar in West Virginia during a Ooh. fishing trip. Fishing trip. Um... Uh, then we've got a few more. One was killed with a gas pipe to the head. Uh, there was Jesus. a poor woman named Lizzie who worked at the castle as a waitress, and she was suffocated in the vault. Um, she was the first person to be killed in the castle. Eighth victim was Sarah Cook and her unborn child, the ninth victim. Tenth victim was Miss Mary Hara Camp, who was killed because she witnessed the disposal of the bodies of eight and nine. So these, I'm sorry, these murders are all happening inside the castle yes. or the hotel? Okay. Essentially. Um, then he has a baby. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. Everyone deserves to be happy. I know. So then he sells, 29 years old, he sells the drugstore across the street, the one that he got for killing the first woman. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and he his plan he's been constructing the castle and we'll kind of get to some of the castle stuff in a minute um but he'd used a variety of different builders to do the construction on it um so by kind of 1890 when he's 29 or 30 the castle's complete um and he's getting ready for the world's fair that's coming um and his whole thing that he tells everybody is that he's building the castle. It's got some retail space downstairs and then the hotel up above to put people up for the World's Fair. Right. Um, so he brings in a man named Ned Connor and his wife Julia and their daughter Pearl to manage the castle. Um, he starts having an affair with Julia. Ned realizes, moves out, um, and then Julia and Pearl end up dead. Um, mm. yeah, uh, suspicious. And Emily, Emmeline is recruited by Holmes to work for him in the castle. This is a year later. They began an affair, planned a December wedding. She ends up dead. Um, he locked her into his giant safe and let her suffocate. He did what to her? He su locked her in a safe and let her suffocate to death. Oh, um, he sold her skeleton to the University of Chicago Medical School. Um, then the, um, more people die. The uh, sale of all of these skeletons, is yeah. this what, like, gets him caught, or is this just what he admitted to after the fact? Definitely the sale of these skeletons has been tracked, which is why I think they know that for sure he murdered quite a few of these people that he claimed to have murdered. Right. Um, because the skeletons end up uh, with their defleshed in, in medical institutions. Um, yeah. But uh, no, it's not how he ends up in court. Um, okay. So then he meets Georgiana Yoke in Chicago in nineteen ninety in eighteen ninety three, and they become engaged. Um. Then he poisons a couple more people. His one of his wives, another wife, Anna. I don't remember when he married Anna, but he killed her. Um, and then he married Georgina after that. I think okay. Anna must have been the second wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he married yeah, Georgina. Right. He's busy. He's really busy. This is all before he's 32. He's really achieved quite a bit. I feel yes. like I'm sort of slacking. Business owner, multiple marriages, many, many horrific murders. Um, yes. And he's about your age. All things Adam. to accomplish before you're 30. I know. What you can do if you just put your mind to it. Um, okay, <laughs> so here he is first arrested, 1894. Yep. Um, but he is arrested for fraud and selling mortgaged property. Um, so he was he was into, like, property fraud as well? So most of... So a lot of the murders that he was doing were to do with insurance frauds. Okay. Like, that was really his thing. Like, one of the interesting things that I kind of always assumed he... I This sounds awful, but I'd always kind of assumed there was a sexual motive behind the women that he killed. Right. Um, but actually looking at this, this incredibly well-put-together document that these women put together, um, no, it really wasn't sexual. He didn't... Um, there's no evidence of rape or torture or anything. It was all pretty clinical. 
like financially motivated. Yeah, absolutely. It was like, what is the best thing for my money right now or my life? Huh. Or very much life motivated. I I mean, yeah. Um. So hmm. he was released on bail for the property fraud, um, and uh, then he was rearrested and sent to prison. Then he was released on bail again, um, but this time by uh his uh Georgiana Yoke, his new wife, released uh, bailed him out. Um. Then he killed a few more people. At least a few more people. Um, then he murdered... Well, we'll get to how he was caught. Um, we'll get to how he was caught in a minute. Uh, he went on to murder... I mean, somewhere in this group of next seven or eight people, he murdered the person that he was caught for murdering. Okay. But it was somewhere in the middle of that, not like... It wasn't like he committed a murder and then he was arrested for it. It was like mm -hmm. he committed the murder he was arrested for, but they didn't get to him for a while, so he committed a quite a lot till then. Okay. Um, is there any evidence that his wives at any point were aware that he was, like, murdering people? No. I know at least one or two of them. He would buy or rent or fraudulently get them houses across the city for them to go live in. Right. Where he would go, like, be a happy family man and then like his hotel was where he did all of this stuff okay okay um so okay so here's where it gets a little like here's where it gets a little convoluted um while he was in jail at one point i he told somebody um that he was thinking about committing this insurance fraud mm -hmm. um which which is what eventually got him. Um, but also at some point he burnt the castle down. Oh. Um, which is when they started to go after him. So he moved to Boston. Well, Vermont. Mm -hmm. Vermont, I think. And then he was arrested in Boston for trying to cheat and defraud the insurance oh. company. Okay. Um, and I... I'm pretty sure while he's in jail, he tells somebody what happened with the word that he got arrested for. So here okay. goes. Um, he had a business partner named Benjamin Pizzelli. P-I-T-E-Z-E-L. Yeah, Pizzelli or something. Pizzelli. Let's go with Pizzelli. Um, and uh, so um, he met... He had a business partner called Pizzelli. Um, and he had this thing, which is Pizzelli, I guess, needed some insurance money. So him and Pizzelli came up with this idea that he would commit, uh, that he would pretend to die. Um, he was a carpenter. Pizzelli was a carpenter. He'd had a criminal past. You know, um, he wasn't. <clears throat> uh, Holmes apparently used him as his right-hand man for several criminal schemes, including... Uh, some of this mortgage fraud and stuff. So he was kind of Holmes's like lackey. Okay. Um. Anyway, so he needed some insurance money. Um. He said to Pizzelli, "Why don't we fake your death?" Um. And he agreed to it so that he could collect ten thousand. His so his wife could collect ten thousand pound dollars in insurance policy. Um, which he then was, she had to split with Holmes. Um, 
the scheme was due to take place in uh, Philadelphia, um, where Pizzelli was supposed to set himself up as an inventor, um, and then mm -hmm. he would be killed and disfigured in a lab explosion. Um, okay. Holmes was set to find the cadaver to play the role of Pizzelli, so that when they could find this burnt-out body... Um, but Holmes, being Holmes, decided, why find a burnt-out body where you can just kill him? When you can just make one. Yeah. So, uh, Holmes says that he chloroformed him and then set his body on fire, but implying that Pizzelli was still alive. But then I guess Ugh. in, uh, I don't know how good post- mortems were at this point um that he killed him first and then pretended to chloroform him to try and make it look like a suicide I, okay this was a wikipedia rabbit hole that i went down um okay <laughs> so either way he ends up dead holmes tells his wife that uh there's something going on um and that his he's died so somehow he manages to convince Mrs. Pizzelli, that he had nothing to do with it and that everything was fine. So he actually Suspicious. takes Mrs. Pizzelli, uh, or no, he actually, he's his wife actually gives Holmes three of her five children. What? I don't, um, I guess Why? Holmes says, like, because you didn't get the insurance payout, I'll look after your children for you. Oh, no, that's dumb. Howard, it was Howard, Alice, and Nellie. Um, I couldn't find ages, thank God, because I'm about to tell you what happened to them. Um, so Holmes was staying at another location with his wife, who was unaware of all of this. Um, mm -hmm. and then, but when he was arrested, Holmes confessed to murdering Alice and Nellie by forcing them into a large trunk and locking them inside. He drilled a hole on the lid of the trunk and put one of the hose through the hole, attaching the other end to a gas line to asphyxiate them. He buried their nude bodies in the cellar of his rental house in Toronto. Um, and, uh, but then they found, so they found the two, the decomposing bodies of the two girls. Um, and then Holmes went to Indianapolis where he rented a cottage um, where he okay. visited a local pharmacy to purchase the drugs with which he killed Howard Pizzelli. Um, and then he chopped up his body by with some knives that he went to a repair shop and got sharpened, and then he burnt it. And the body, the boy's teeth and bits of bone were discovered in the home's chimney. That sounds like, well, first of all, that's horrid, but also yeah. like really roundabout, sort of not super well calculated. No, because... Why kill them in three different locations? Right. And, like, why go through all of the effort of, like... I don't know. I mean, a few of, the, a few of his, like, murders do sound sort of, like, showboaty, like, showmanshipy, like the woman in the safe who he suffocated. Yeah. Like, sort of, sort of, like, not, like, normal, like, bog-standard, like, knife or gun or, like, bludgeoning. Right. And it's just, yeah, it's kind, of, it's kind of odd that he would go down that line of action. Yeah, it's um, yeah. I don't. It's all very weird. I, I, he had his finger in just like every single pie, you know. Yeah. Um, and he it was also like, like it was some convicted outlaw named Marion Hedgeputh, who was the person that 
kind of turned him in, I think, in exchange for immunity. But here's where our stories tie in and why I was thinking kind of like when we were talking. He was arrested on an outstanding warrant for horse theft in Texas by the Pinkertons. Oh, Oh, wow. Okay. Um, And at this point, it became obvious that he was about to try and flee the country. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, so he is at this point arrested. He's tried for conspiracy to cheat and defraud. He's then indicted in Philadelphia for the murder of Benjamin Pizzelli. He pleads not guilty. Um, obviously they find him guilty. He submits a motion for a new trial. Uh, it's overruled and he's sentenced to be hanged. And in 1896, he is hung in Philadelphia. Hanged. Hanged. Hung. Hanged in Philadelphia. Um, so that's the end of his story, but not the end of what I'm going to tell you. Because um, cool. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about some of his victims and also a fraction more about his uh, castle. So. Okay. Um, there's. Some people say that a lot of this is made up, right? That this is just a mm-hmm. folklore. Um, folklore kind of stuff about his castle and obviously there's a there is some kind of I guess sense to that which is that I mean it's just kind of beyond belief Um, he apparently had 55 doorways that opened into brick walls um, over a hundred windowless rooms, stairs that led to nowhere, two furnaces, and body-sized chutes from bedrooms to an incinerator in the basement. Um, and uh, like he never paid anybody for any of his work. Which, let's face it, in the extent of his crimes, is not very big. But it did mean that people constantly quit working for him. So there's also a right. lot of like mixed messages about what got built and what didn't get built. Okay. Because contractors weren't following through on the job. He was firing them when he thought they'd seen too much um, and they were quitting mm-hmm. when he didn't pay. But it does okay. seem like there were soundproof rooms. Um, these uh, An acid vat, quicklime and crematorium in the basement. Um, but right Are after... Are there any he- like... Yeah. Go ahead. As I say, right after he was arrested, the whole house was gutted again by a fire. And um, and although it was rebuilt, it was rebuilt without all the creepiness. Um, and it was used as a post office till 1938. Oh. Huh. Um, the first floor was just a storefront and pretty normal. Um, in, 19, in 1894, some policemen did go and inspect the house. So this was kind of right as he was killing Pizzelli, like in that kind of area. Um, mm-hmm. And he, they think his most prolific time would have been during the World's Fair, which was in uh, oh, the expo- exposition, which we know I can't say. Um, uh, but exp- in this like 1982 to 1984, they think he must have killed a ton of people. But the police officers uh, did find and recorded uh, hinged walls with fa- false partitions, rooms leading to a secret passageways, um, 
airtight rooms that were connected to pipelines which filled with gas from gas chambers in the basement, uh, surgical tables, an array of medical tools to dissect people, um, bits of bone and organ. So I think it's fairly safe to say that he killed more than the one person he was convicted for. I haven't yes, I would, I would, I would information say... why they didn't go after him for other stuff. Um, I don't know. Maybe it had something to do with, uh, I don't know. That's really interesting. So he was only convicted of killing the one woman. No, the one man, Benjamin Bozzelli, right? the guy who right. was supposed to be okay, swapped yeah, out yeah. for a cadaver and wasn't. Okay. And then, so he was hanged for that, but he was never actually convicted of killing anyone else. No. And, and he convicted, I mean, they say here, but, I mean, this particular article says between 27 to over 100 people. And that was in... Dang. Yeah, and he started killing at the age of 25 and was executed at the age of 33. Yeah, I would say that you're probably, you're absolutely correct that, like, there's probably very low likelihood that it was it was just 27. Yeah, um, and it probably wasn't even the 27 that he confessed to. Um, mm -hmm. And what's really interesting from a true crime standpoint is that um, we're talking about 11 males, 16 females. Most of them were white, but that isn't so interesting because there weren't obviously a ton of black people going to the World's Fair in the early 1800s, mid-1800s. Right. Um, infants to adults. There wasn't a clear victimology. Um, I'm sorry, what did you just say? There wasn't like a clear victimology. Okay. Oh, so like usually serial killers uh, kill... You know, Ted Bundy kills women in their late teens, early twenties with long hair parted down the middle, you know? Who looked like their mom who looked like his mom. Who looks like his mom. Um whereas Holmes was uh not doing it for those kinds of reasons. There's also no evidence of all the right. other stuff like bedwetting and abuse as a child, you know. Hmm. There's no evidence of that. So he is quite unusual. Um Yeah. But here's unusual some of the ways his serial killerness. I'm, they've got quite. They've got all the different ways that he killed people. So I'm going to give you a taste. Um, yes, please do. Uh, this person was killed by a dose of laudanum. Uh, this person was hit with a heavy chair and a small office on his head. Um, his body was sold yeah. for money. That particular one. Um, this one was a blow to the head with an oar. A blow to the head with a gas pipe. Suffocated, and she was. That was the first woman to be killed in the vault. That was Lizzie. Mm -hmm. Um, another one killed killed by surprise. I'm not sure what that means. <laughs> Scared them to death. Scared them to death. Uh, another person killed in the vault, suffocated. Um, another one poisoned with potassium. Uh, Robert Latimer was stored in a wall and starved slowly. Jesus. Um. This Anna Betts. Uh, he substituted a poisoning, poisonous ingredient into a prescription that she had filled at his drugstore. Um, so he just sort of like didn't have any trend. No, like way he, more in, like in either burnt. his victims or his methodology. No, exactly. Like this one starved and killed, killed with chloroform, murdered in the vault. He did like murdering in the vault, I'm guessing. Um, I, I, like. 
Um, a lot of this is financial gain insurance policies. Yeah, this, I was going to say that the, the, the connection sort of seems to be uh, insurance financial gain. And the, mur- and the murder is just sort of like a means to an end. Yeah, and the absolutely. end being more money. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, oh God, I do. I have now found out the age of the poor kids that were killed. Um, uh, 11, 12, and 11, 13, and 14. Oh, uh, that's horrifying. Um, and all of it for financial gain. So. Yeah, it, it's weird. It, it, it almost seems like, it almost seems like in any other situation. Yeah. Like, like if, if things had been slightly different in his upbringing or in his childhood or whatever, that he would have just been like an investment banker. Yeah. Except for the fact there's no evidence there was anything wrong or weird in his childhood. Yeah, um, that is really strange. Is he like an anomaly then, just within like the 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 field of true crime? Then, sort of like he's the first ser- he's the first pattern. American serial killer. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm going to finish with a quote from him because maybe Ooh. he can explain it. I was born with the devil in me. I could not help the fact that I was a murderer, no more than a poet can help the inspiration to sing. I was born with the evil one standing as my sponsor beside the bed where I was ushered when I was ushered into the world, and he has been with me ever since. Huh. Basically, he was just so he evil. He, had, he thought he had the devil in him. Yep. Just evil, top to bottom, no rhyme or reason. And I think kind of almost a, more evil because he was killing, I mean, not kill, more evil because he was killing for money, but his mo- he was so unconcerned. Yeah, it seems like a very superficial reason. Right? Like, uh, obviously, like, it, it, it's not, <laughs> again, in terms of romanticizing serial killers, we don't want to suggest that, but, like, it yeah. is sort of like, it was like he was, yeah, he, like, he had, Serial killers don't have remorse, but it does seem a bit more brutal that he was just like, "Oh, I'm going to collect your husband's life insurance policy," and that's why I killed so, him. Like, you're in my way; you're going to die. Well, he was paid what would be about three hundred thousand dollars in today's money to tell his story after mm-hmm. he got arrested. Um, but he huh. gave them a whole load of contradictory accounts, um, and uh, and just really like just lied to them particularly a huge amount too um so it's hard to say what's even true yeah uh he weirdly asked asked to be buried in concrete um because he didn't want anyone to di- exhume and dissect his body um Uh-oh. which actually was granted and he was buried until i guess rumors came that he had escaped death and in 2017 <clears throat> i think someone dug up his one of the universities dug up his body and tested it and it was him it was him yeah um that, i mean that's that's certainly a bit of like the boogeyman folklore that comes with that kind of character the like the surviving death thing like yeah. Rasputin or Oh, yeah, like absolutely. That. I mean, if you think you're the devil, it makes sense that then if you go around telling people that, that they might think that a little bit of hanging couldn't hurt. Right. Um, <laughs> Just a mild hanging. A mild hanging. Um, and then the last bit of I interesting mean, information I found, and I cannot find my source on this, um, was that, in fact, the hotel was appallingly built, um, built to very poor construction standards and would not have survived much longer if it hadn't been burnt anyway. That's interesting. Are there any like 
I'm, I, I'm assuming that like no blueprints exist or like build orders from homes to construction workers. There are, I think, building. quite a few different bits and pieces, but the problem is because is you use so many different people, there isn't like a clear picture. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. And again, people in the 1800s, man, could he turn a phrase? Yep. I mean, he was, yeah. Um, he knew how to work it, and he must have been... He must have been quite a magnetic magnetic person because people did I'm gonna seem say, to... I'm going to say he must have been fairly charismatic to be able to pull all of these people into into his web. Yeah, it's a bit like Henry VIII. He would think after the first few wives, people would just stop marrying him. Yeah, you'd think so. Um, he must have had something going for him. Yeah, he wasn't king of England, so it must have been something else. That helped. That helped. Um, yeah, anyway, so that was H.H. H. Holmes. Um, that was great. Who I still kind of love, and I mean, if you guys don't know much about H.H. H. Holmes, I think it's called The Devil in the White City. I love, in case you yes, didn't listen is. to the Australia episode, which we did republish because I love it so much, and I pronounced the word exhibition about 50 times wrong. Um, <laughs> but I love that era, and I love that kind of World's Fair thing. So I think that's what actually mm. got me to read that book initially, but it's an amazing... Yeah, it's creepy, but it's also an amazing snapshot of Chicago at a revolutionary time. And it's not all about H.H. H. Holmes, is it? It's sort of like, like you said, a snapshot of the, the, the city at the time. And H.H. H. Holmes is just like a character in it. Is that correct, or am I wrong in, in that assumption? No, it is It is his story, but it's not really his story. Uh, he is the focus of it. Okay. Um, But it's not like a biography. It doesn't like say on, you know... May sixteenth in nineteen eighty one. He right. was born. I did. I did see that on the internet. They describe it as a novel. It's, yeah, it is a story. Like, like obviously based on fiction, but written as a novel. Yeah, it's or a good book. Fiction, and totally worth life, a read. Yeah. And if you've found him interesting at all, and what I said, that should be your first starting point. Yeah. So go read the Devil in the White City and watch the assassination of Jesse James. Do it at the same time. That was a kind of a cool. Do yeah. It. Well, I guess you do legendary murderers. You're going to find legendary books and stuff to do with them. Yeah, and I don't think I've ever read that book, so that's that's definitely going on my list of. Oh, you'll love of, it. Put it on the list reads. for the plane on the way back. Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, I definitely will do that. All right. Well, wish Adam everybody wish Adam a negative COVID test so that he can actually fly on what day? Saturday. It's supposed to be Saturday. So wish every everyone wish Adam a negative COVID test so he can fly on Saturday and we can have him back in the studio to record again next Tuesday. Yeah, definitely. Um, um, and we will come but thank up you very with much a... for sticking around with us. Yeah, we really appreciate it. We know we missed last week's, um, and uh, but we are thrilled to be back, and, and you're going to start seeing a whole lot more content from us when Adam comes back. Yeah. Because yeah. single-handedly yeah. holding down his dog and his life here and recording and running the podcast. Hey, guys, I'm so sorry. We lost Adam right at the very end there. We just wanted to say thank you so much for listening. Next week, all our tech issues will be solved, but we hope you enjoyed it. And if you have any suggestions for what you want us to cover, do let us know. Thank you so much for listening to Legendary Tales. Let's all wish Adam a big loving get well soon. Send him some messages on Instagram. And don't forget to subscribe, follow, and listen to us every week. Bye.